0: Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 21.
1: But personally, I do not see the need to make a distinction between Islamic conventional fintech. Fintech is fintech. But what is encouraging is that the... Islamic finance fintech sector is being driven by young Muslim millennials. From a fintech perspective itself, from a global fintech perspective, the opportunity in Islamic finance continues to grow. The real potential is that fintech will enable Islamic finance to attract more customers, increase efficiency, reduce costs, and offer a wide range of products, helping the
0: sector become more
1: competitive against
0: conventional finance. I'm Devesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. We're here today at Islamic Finance Week in London. Now Islamic finance is a very specialist area that presents exciting growth opportunities for the UK, particularly around professional and financial services. The importance of Islamic finance and other such investors around the world is evidenced by its, its steady growth over recent years sharia compliant banking assets make up some six percent of the world's banking assets but globally approximately one in four people are Muslim, so the scope for growth is obvious now today as media partners of islamic finance week london and also the european islamic fintech huddle we're joined by wayne evans at the city uk who's here to discuss The UK's relevance in Sharia and Islamic finance and where the potential and exciting opportunities are for Islamic products. So Wayne, thank you for joining us today at Islamic Finance Week London. In no more than 30 seconds, can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do at the City UK? The City UK is the leading membership
1: body for the UK's financial and related professional services industry. It, we have a very broad membership, including all the major banks, law firms, accountants' firms, consultancies, and also people like the London Stock or companies like the London Stock Exchange and uh, Lloyd's of London. I was one of the founding directors, but stepped back a bit recently. I'm now a senior advisor on interna- international issues and lead on
0: Islamic finance. Thank you. And we really enjoyed your panel session at Islamic Finance Week London this week, which Trade Finance Global are delighted to support as media partners. So, Wayne, what are the key proponents of Islamic finance and how does Sharia and products such as Sukuk and takaful fit into this?
1: The easiest answer and probably the one that most people think of is that Islamic finance forbids trade in certain products, for example, alcohol, pork products and gambling. Plus, of course, that the earning of interest is forbidden. But Islamic finance goes much deeper than that. It is an ethical and responsible finance finance system that governs financial transactions and products. Increasingly, it has been used to support the growing halal economy. Central to Islamic finance is the fact that money itself has no intrinsic value. As a matter of faith, a Muslim cannot lend money to or receive money from someone and expect a benefit. Interest, known as riba, is not allowed. To make money from money is forbidden. Wealth can only be generated through legitimate trade and investment in assets. Broadly speaking, Sukuk and Takaful are Islamic products which respectively, in the conventional finance sector, would be described as bonds and insurance. However, they are different from their conventional equivalents. Sukuk is used to describe a financial certificate, equivalent to a conventional debt issuance such as a bond. But unlike conventional debt issuance, Sukuk holders are legal and or beneficial owners of the underlying assets. Takaful is, is an Islamic alternative to conventional insurance. It provides mutual protection of assets and property. Takaful is very similar to the concept of mutual insurance, which is well known in the UK, where the members are the insurers are as well
0: as the insured. So according to your recent report, Global Trends in Islamic Finance in the UK Market, The global market for Sharia assets totals some 2.4 trillion US dollars in in 2017, seeing single digit year on year growth. What is driving this growth and, and where are the global opportunities? You mentioned in your introduction that
1: approximately one in four of the population are Muslims. This Muslim population is a very young and growing population. As this population grows and becomes more prosperous, Muslims will want to buy products. That we in, in, in the conventional sector take as, as standard, but they want to buy products that are accord with their faith. These might be financial products, loans, mortgages, investments, pensions, etc., or physical products such as food, cosmetics, and medicines. And interestingly, lately, the growth of Islamic tourism. This is the basis of the growth of the halal economy, which Islamic finance supports. Also, there is a shift in international investment priorities. We have been fortunate in the UK that in the past, there's been much investment from the GC and other Islamic countries. These flows continue, but there is growing interest in using Islamic finance products rather than conventional products for such investment. Easy wins for global opportunities remain the GCC in Malaysia. Saudi Arabia's ambitious 2030 plan is to reduce Saudi Arabia's dependency on oil and diversify its economy. Much of the funding Required to this plan will come from the use of Sukkot or through Sukkot. Malaysia is also the leading, finance centre, the leading Islamic finance centre in Southeast Asia. Subscribers for pension plans, for example, now have the option to use Sharia-compliant pension schemes. These pension funds and pension schemes will look for long-term solid investments that are also compliant. At the City UK, we are currently engaged with Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, helping them develop their Islamic finance infrastructure. We have close partnerships with Turkey and Malaysia. Indonesia, Pakistan and Iran also have huge potential. So these markets are all growing and and, and they need Islamic products and expertise in them. Markets also developing across Africa from Casablanca to Cape Town. And I personally believe that one day India and China will have to address the needs of their Muslim populations.
0: That's a really interesting global perspective. Now, let's hone in on on the UK, which is obviously where where we're at today. The UK is one of the leading centres for Islamic finance outside of the GCC. I think we have five fully Sharia-compliant banks here in the UK, and you can see the use of Islamic finance through a number of large infrastructure projects, not, not just in London, but also in Manchester, Birmingham, uh, and Newcastle, from what I last saw. Can you give us an overview of the UK Islamic finance market?
1: We have a robust Islamic finance market in the UK that has, that has spun partly out of London's role as a leading global financial centre. But it's also been government policy for the last 20 years to create a level playing field for Islamic finance so that no one should be penalised because of their, their faith. As a consequence, the UK now offers one of the most attractive regulatory and tax systems for Islamic finance anywhere in the world. Apart from the five banks you mentioned, the depth and breadth of London's capital market provides access to a wide pool of investors and secondary market liquidity. Major global institutions such as the LSE and Lloyds of London have taken a keen interest in Islamic finance. The City UK estimates of the 200 international law firms based in the UK, over 25 of these have teams working on Islamic finance. All the leading accounting, consulting and professional services have developed have, have Islamic finance departments. We also have five professional services institutes, and the UK offers 80 Islamic finance courses, making the UK one of the leading global providers of Islamic finance education training and qualifications. As a consequence of all of this uh, expertise, we have attracted a lot of investment as I, into the UK. And as I mentioned earlier, we are increasingly seeing the use of Islamic finance products for infrastructure development, not just in London, but also in, as you mentioned, Newcastle, Manchester, um, right across the country. So the expertise that we have in, in, in the UK has, has drawn investment into the UK as well. I have to say that the, the domestic retail market hasn't taken off as, in as much as I, in, in such a way that i had hoped it would have done, and neither has co- corporates have cooked. But I think that over the coming years, we will see developments in this
0: sector. So let's go into a little bit more detail on on the actual underlying infrastructure and, and the London Stock Exchange is a key global venue for the issuance of Sukuk. As of the start of this year, over 53 billion US dollars had been raised through some 72 bond issuances. We also have three Sharia-compliant ETFs quoted on the LSE. So how are funds mobilised into contracts which are permissible by Sharia? Is it, is it just through Sukuk bonds? Mostly through Sukuk bond, but the, the London Stock Exchange Group offers a broad
1: range of Islamic finance products, reflecting their commitment to London being the largest Western hub for Islamic finance. Within capital markets, global Sukuk issuances are a prominent asset class and make up a significant proportion of Islamic, of the Islamic finance industry. In terms of listing developments, the UK listing authority has a worldwide re- reputation as a fair, effective, and efficient regulator. A London listing guarantees investor diversification for Sukuk issuers. Important players in the Islamic finance industry, like the Islamic Development Bank and the Islamic Corporation for the Development of the Private Sector, continue to list on the LSE's markets, highlighting their position as a leading platform for landmark Sukuk transactions. In addition, the London, Sukuk, in addition, the London Stock Exchange international securities market offers key derogations that enable a convenient Sukuk listing process. The LSE has recently acquired the Sukuk Benchmark Index, which is one of the the most widely used Sukuk indices amongst investors. The Sukuk Index measures the performance of global Islamic finance income securities. This index includes the US dollar denominated investment grade Sukuk that are Sharia compliant and issued in the global markets. Quite a few Sukuk included in the index are listed on the London Stock Exchange's fixed income markets, e.g. the Islamic Development Bank. Sukuk insurances have been successful and are oftentimes oversubscribed, but liquidity in the secondary market still remains low due to supply constraints. As secondary market trading increases with more supply, a dedicated Sukuk-based ETF could be the next step for the
0: market. Let's talk about something that I'm personally quite interested in, which is green sukuk. And actually, I see quite a lot of similarities between green finance and sustainable finance and Islamic finance. So green sukuk is often described as the intersection of green finance and Islamic finance. What is this and how is it being used to fund environmentally friendly projects? So what are the similarities between green finance and and Islamic finance? In the last few years...
1: uh well, I think we're all becoming more aware of these issues and, and environmental awareness amongst Muslim authorities and Islamic organizations has been rising. They increasingly recognize and articulate an Islamic environmental ethic and actively seek to mitigate environmental problems such as climate change, pollution, degradation or natural disasters. If you accept the premise that Islamic finance is ethical, is an ethical financial system, then green paddocks are a natural fit. Islam, like Christianity and Judaism, proclaims the importance of humanity's stewardship over nature. Indonesia and Malaysia have been key issues of Green Sukuk, of but Green Sukuk are simply Sharia-compliant investment vehicles that fund environmentally friendly projects. The projects themselves, such as wind farms, solar parks, biogas, etc., are no different from conventionally funded projects, but of course they use a Sharia-compliant method for the funding. But as with all green products, there's a question how green they uh, actually are. For example, is it right to destroy a natural habitat
0: simply to produce more palm oil? That's a very interesting way of looking at it, and I think it's important to always question: Is it actually green? Is it actually environmentally friendly? And what are the, what is the underlying project versus what potentially is being destroyed in order to, to create that? Uh, let's move on to fintech in Islamic finance, and, and we see a lot of hype in the UK around some of the newer Islamic fintech firms, which have, you know, recently, uh, recently come out in the last couple of years or so, such as. We're Head Invest and Hello Gold. TFG are delighted to be media partners of the European FinTech huddle this week by Islamic Finance News. And the UK is very well positioned, as we know, in the market as an as a as a hub for fintech. Tell me more about some of the recent global developments and also what opportunities there are for Islamic fintechs to be based here in the UK. The UK is well positioned for Islamic finance fintech. One survey, I think, by our hosts
1: at IFN placed the UK second after Malaysia when ranked by the number of active companies. In 2017, the UK regulator authorised Yielders, our first Sharia-compliant crowdfunding investment company. And since then, we've seen a number of new companies coming to the market. But personally, I do not see the need to make a distinction between Islamic and conventional fintech. Fintech is fintech. But what is encouraging is that the Islamic finance, fintech sector is being driven by young Muslim millennials. And this is this actually, and, and I shouldn't say this as, a, as an old non-Muslim baby boomer, this is quite encouraging that we are seeing millennials coming into the, into the sector, into the Islamic finance sector, and, and bringing uh, wealth, experience, exp- enthusiasm to develop products in, in, in accordance with their face. But this is very encouraging to see. From a fintech perspective itself, from a global fintech perspective, the opportunity in Islamic finance continues to grow. The real potential is that fintech will enable Islamic finance to attract more customers, increase efficiency, reduce costs, and offer a wide range of products, helping the sector become more competitive against conventional finance. Now, you can argue that the fintech products are going to be the same for In the conventional sector as well, it brings the same benefits. But financial inclusion in the organization of Islamic cooperation member states lags behind global norms. Expanding Sharia-compliant financial services through fintech will improve financial inclusion in the Islamic world. Also, high transaction costs can make it uneconomical for for banks to offer fully-fledged bank accounts to low-income groups in most developing countries. But we at the City UK and others have done research on this, which shows that high mobile penetration across the Muslim world, uh, mobile phone penetration across the Muslim world, will enable FinTech to attract new customers through digital channels, allowing for money transfers, microcredit, and bills and goods. So, from that perspective, these, uh, this deployment will, will enable much greater financial inclusion in the financial world. But we're also seeing developments in blockchain related to. Uh, Fintech, of course, there is the development of blockchain and blockchain products, and this will enable and Islamic banks to greatly expand their offer to SMEs through the use of blockchain. At the City UK, we've also been working with the International Red Cross and the International Red Crescent on the development of uh, blockchain to be used in, in 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 zakat, the charitable contributions that Muslims make, and it, the blockchain process could enable individual Muslims to almost deliver their their Zakat contribution to
0: specific individuals. I think that's fascinating. And, and we here at TFG focus quite a lot on just blockchain's uh, potential for trade finance. And actually within Sharia compliant services, blockchain does have lots of potential. And I'm sure that could be a, a whole separate podcast. A couple of things you mentioned there, which we're, we, we're also very passionate about, is financial inclusion for, for the underbanked which is potentially a challenge within the Muslim community and, and population here in the UK, and also encouraging diversity in, in and amongst the, the fintech community. And I think those are both being achieved through some of the, the moves in fintech here. So look, taking a forward-looking view now for the rest of 2019 and beyond, what are, what are a few opportunities that you see within the UK for the Islamic finance sector? Is, is it the residential uh, opportunities or, or, or more commercial opportunities? And it would be remiss of me not to bring up Brexit into the mix. One final thing on, on fintech is the establishment in the UK of the UK
1: Islamic Finance Fintech panel. This is a group that we at the City UK actively support, and it is a, it is a panel of practitioners um, who are looking uh, as a group at the specific issues that face U, uh, UK Islamic fintech uh, companies as opposed to ordinary conventional fintech companies. So the UK Islamic fintech panel is is very active in this field and, and we are helping them develop their, their programs and also uh, we are engaging with government on their behalf. First, I hope we'll see a growth in the UK Islamic retail sector. It, it, it has not, as I mentioned earlier, taken off in, in a way that it should do. Um, because uh, currently Muslims in the UK are underserved, not just in banking, but in other sectors such as pensions, insurance and student loans, which is a major issue. So I'm, I'm looking for, or hoping for, for growth in, in, the, in the UK retail sector. And from my uh, discussions with some of the current UK Islamic banks and those thinking about coming to the UK, this would be an area which a lot of them are going to be focused in on. Second, by the end of 2019, we will see the Bank of England's uh, liquidity provision in place and also have details of the second UK sovereign, Sukuk. These will help to boost the UK Islamic finance sector. Related to this, the UK, like the rest of the world, has a need for funding for infrastructure. This funding could come from Sukuk or other Sharia-compliant commodity trade finance products. I also see the use of tax to swap major projects being more commonplace. On Brexit, government policy is to open up the UK to new markets, to look for new trade partners. Actually, uh, the Islamic finance sector in the UK has been doing this for a number of years anyway, but our expertise in Islamic finance and our openness to Islamic investment will be an asset as we seek to grow trade with our partners in the Islamic
0: world. Wayne, thank you. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today and, and also hearing you throughout the week at, at Islamic Finance Week here in London. I think just to just to round off some of those those key points there, and actually there are lots of close synergies within trade and trade finance and some of the issues we discuss around. FinTech and blockchain as, as opportunities and also challenges around the underbanked and, and financial inclusion, and then also really celebrating diversity and looking at how the UK can open up as a market for not just GCC players but but non-GCC players, or non-GCC players, uh, uh, including including perhaps Malaysia and Singapore. And I think there are uh, lots of lots of opportunities. So look for our listeners today. I think this has been a fantastic fantastic taster into into what Islamic finance is and some of the the core components around Sharia finance, Takaful, Sukuk, and also where the UK is is strategically positioned and and where where it might go moving forward. Wayne, thank you very much for coming and uh, we look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.